And I, so I need to address, really, as part of this, and I think God wants me to do this because of what is going on around us. Okay, the world around us seems to be burning down. I, I know that you are watching the same news I am. The heartbreaking and tragic deaths of George Floyd and Ahmoud Arbery in recent days have, I believe, rightly led to public outrage. What I don't want to talk about today is whether or not we have responded correctly. And I don't want to talk about whether or not we like or agree with how this has been handled by any of the public leaders. What I want to focus on is what we can do to change things. What's the answer? I will say, and I wanted to, to tell you, if you were tuned in on Wednesday night, you heard this, so I need to say it again. People have asked me where I stand on this, and I love our church, the Church of the Nazarene, and I stand firmly with where they stand. And here's what I mean. In our manual, it says, we believe that God is the creator of all people, and that and that of one blood are all people created. Therefore, we renounce any form of racial and ethnic indifference, exclusion, subjugation, or oppression as a grave sin against God and our fellow human beings. We lament the legacy of every form of racism throughout the world, and we seek to confront the legacy through repentance, reconciliation, and biblical justice. We seek to repent of every behavior in which we have been overtly or covertly implicit with the sin of racism, both past and present. And in confession and lament, we seek forgiveness and reconciliation. We call upon Nazarenes everywhere to identify and seek to remove acts and structures of prejudice, to facilitate occasions for seeking forgiveness and reconciliation, and to take action toward empowering those who have been marginalized. You see... Our church, and this is all I'm going to say about this, our church stands firmly with, um, on the side of racial reconciliation. We believe there is no place for uh, prejudice or racism. In fact, it is a sin, and we will speak against it. And further, we will do all we can to reconcile uh, races together. And I believe that, and I stand with that, and the, here's, here's my problem with this statement. It's not that I have a problem with this statement. It's that why are we just now, after so much issue has been made, talking about this? Um, I, I believe that we should be involved in this, in, in reconciling previous to this, if that makes sense. And I think as we go forward, we need to make sure that we are a place that follows these guidelines. So to be honest, I've run the gamut of how to address, address the church. I've um, prayed through. I just want to let you know that I have prayed through on this. This isn't something that I'm just shooting from the hip on. That's why I'm focused so much on my notes. I want to make sure I get it right. I've prayed through, and here's what God has told me. Love. A friend of mine, uh, Nate Cook, some of you may know him, wrote something that eloquently conveys or eloquently says what I'm trying to convey here. The gospel of Jesus Christ calls us to self-sacrifice. Okay, keep that in mind. If we are to take up our cross, that means that we are 
trying to, that we are laying down our lives. Jesus always taught sacrificial love. Now, we think that it's something, love, and we love each other, and, and I, I want to make sure that I paint a picture different from um, what my parents were, a, a hippie kind of a love, right? Where we all just love each other, man, and things are so cool. It's like it's more than just getting along together. It's more than just liking each other. Jesus called us to sacrificial love. 1 John 3.16 says, this is how we know what love, how do we know what love is? Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. You remember Peter in the garden, right? Whenever they came to arrest Jesus, Peter drew his sword and was ready to go to battle. He cut the soldier's ear off, and Jesus chastised him. And then Jesus healed his enemy. The very man who was arresting him, Jesus immediately healed. So if you ask me what the answer is to what's going on today, it's love. But not any love. It's the love of Jesus. It is love that denies itself. It is love that seeks the best for others. It is love that is willing to lay its life down for somebody else. And so here's what I'm going to say. We all have opinions about what's going on today. We run the gamut. I don't want to get into that. We need to rise above the fray. This is what God has called us to do. Put our personal opinions aside and just focus on loving people. Remember, we are not part of the kingdom of the world. We just aren't. We are part of the kingdom of God. And in the kingdom of God, the rules are different. He calls us to a different way to live. He calls us to a different way to love. It's an uncommon love. This is what I've been telling my kids about each other even. It's an uncommon love. It is not common to love somebody sacrificially. It's common to like somebody to be friends with somebody, to get along with somebody, but to love somebody sacrificially is uncommon. That's what God has called us to do. So you'll not find that I am going to wade into any political statement, any um, conservative or liberal ideas. What I want to wade into is the kingdom of God what he has called us to do, who he has called us to be. And it is in that world that we can change the earth to impact. Remember, and we've, we've talked about this before, and we will talk about it again, that when Christianity began, it so impacted the world, it rose so quickly because people had not heard anything like this kingdom before. Whenever a city would evacuate because a plague would hit it, the Christians did not. Those who followed Jesus stayed behind, loved the sick, nursed them back to health. And whenever the uh, government would send, send in some new slaves and, and other people to repopulate, they stayed and they taught them the traditions and the customs and they taught them how to live. The Christians were the ones. Whenever the Roman Empire um, had such an uh, affinity for only having male children, they would have a female child, a little baby girl, and because they didn't want the baby girl, they would go put them in the woods to just let them die. 
the Christians would go and find these little baby girls and they raised them. Because to somebody who follows Jesus, all life is precious. No matter the race, no matter the ethnicity, no matter the gender. So how is it that we get here? I'm getting ahead of myself. God said to focus on his love. So what better place than to focus on the love of God? John 3.16 then might be the most well-known verse in all the Bible. The one that most people know on. And this is not one that I, I'm not sure I've ever heard somebody preach on this. Everybody knows it and we all reference it. And it's been referenced in messages. But to, So I'm taking just this one verse, okay? Just John 3.16. The topic of God's love is such an overwhelming subject. There's so much that the Bible has to say about love that I doubt anyone has ever come close to fully comprehending it. A.W. Tozer said this, I can no more do justice to this awesome and wonderful topic than a child can grasp a star. Still, by reaching toward the star, the child may call attention to it and even indicate the direction one must look to see it. And so I stretch my heart toward the high, shining love of God so that we may be encouraged to look up and have hope. Can we really grasp, truly grasp the love of God? Probably not. But if we are always pointing towards it, then people will be able to see it. So John 3.16, we all know it well. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's only one sentence. Only 24 words, but that one sentence is packed with so much truth that we literally don't have time to unpack it. But I'm going to try. So stay with me. And I will apologize ahead of time. I try to keep my speaking to about 30 minutes. Today's going to be just a little bit longer than that. We'll try to wrap it up, not too much more. But I have to tell you, so there are seven things, right? You can count them as we go through. And the first is this. So I'm going to look at seven truths in this one verse. God's love is, first, unconditional. For God so loved the world, unconditional. And the Greek word for world is cosmos. And the word cosmos is, is really very nuanced. If you did a Greek word study, it's, it's a nuanced word and it means different things. But um, ultimately it's this, the ungodly, unsaved multitude, the whole mass of men alienated from God and hostile to him and his son, Jesus Christ. So when the author says, for God so loved the world, this is the way he used the word. It was in it was this context. So people who are hostile to God and his son Jesus Christ. This is the world that God loved. This is who he loved. You know, it doesn't say that God loved all the good guys. It doesn't say God loved all the Jews or that God loved all the saints. It says for God so loved the world, those who are hostile to him and his son, Jesus Christ. That God should love the world only makes his love more of a mystery. How is it possible that he could do that? If we imagined the newly created world, one that was uninfected by sin or evil, it might be easier to understand God's desire to save it. But 
the world as it is now? It's a little more complicated. One that, according to uh, John 1.10, has failed to recognize its maker. A world that openly hated him, according to John 15.16. Seems like a poor choice for love, right? How many of us, when somebody treats us this way, respond in love? Not in an, okay, I'm going to get along with you, but in a, okay, I will lay my life down for you. You hate me? Cool, I'm going to lay down for you. You despise me? I'm going to give you my car. To sacrifice. It's an uncommon love. So what is God's love based on? It, it clearly isn't based on our spiritual condition or our moral predisposition, right? It's not based on our behavior or our attitude towards Him. That's not what it's based on. Rather, we see that God's love for mankind is universal and it's, it's unconditional. He loves everyone. And this is one of the things that sets Him apart from every other God that has ever existed. C.S. Lewis, uh, they wrote a story about C.S. Lewis, one of the things that happened to him. Um, love C.S. Lewis. You guys probably all know who he is. But he was at a comparative religions conference, and he was giving a, um, his goal was to give a presentation at this comparative religions conference. And so uh, there was a, a debate that kind of stirred up one day in one of the rooms. Now, C.S. Lewis wasn't there yet, and, and they, somebody asked, what is unique about Christianity? Someone suggested that Christianity was set apart from other religions because of the concept of incarnation, the idea that God took his very self and became flesh. But someone quickly said, well, other faiths believe that God appeared in human form. So another suggestion was offered. What about resurrection? The belief that death is not the final word, that the tomb was found empty. Someone else shook their head and said, no, no other religions, they have accounts of people being raised from the dead. As the story goes, C.S. Lewis walked in and he had his uh, tweed jacket and his pipe and his arm full of papers and he walked into the room and he heard this debate going on and he was early for his presentation. He sat down and began to take it all in and by this time it had turned into a very uh, spirited debate. They were arguing, they were getting mad at each other and um, there was kind of a lull in the conversation, and um, he said, so what's all this rumpus about? It's a quote. <laughs> Everyone looked at him, and trying to explain themselves, they said, hey, we're trying to debate what's unique about being a Christian. He said, oh, that's easy. It's grace. The room went silent, and they all began to think about that. Lewis continued, he said, God's love comes free of charge. There are no strings attached. No other religion can make that claim. So they begin to think about other religions. Buddhists, for example, have an eightfold path to enlightenment. It costs them something. There's a path to get there, things they have to do. It's not a free ride. Hinduism believes in karma, right? To receive good, you have to do good. You guys have heard that? We all talk about karma. That's actually a, a Hindu idea. Jewish people believes they believe in the law. 
And that implies that God requires you to do something for Him to give you love. Islam, God is a God of judgment. At the end of the discussion, everyone concluded that he had a point. Only Christianity can proclaim that God's love is free and unconditional. So if God's love is unconditional, that's the first thing. Here's the second thing. It's sacrificial. For God so loved the world that he gave. Sacrificial, the nature of love. An alternate translation might start, for this is how God loved the world. This is how he loved the world. How did he love us? By giving, by serving, by sacrificing. If you want to know how to love somebody, this is it. Giving, serving, sacrificing. Are we willing to do that? So here we learn something important about the nature of love. Some people think that they love others, but really they only love others because those people love them. Right? We found ourselves in that place. But God shows us that true love has nothing to do with what someone can do for you, but everything to do with what I can do for you. Love has nothing to do with what you can do for me and everything to do with what I can do for you. If I love you, then I will do. What are the results of that sacrificial love? I don't know if you guys have heard of Stuart Briscoe. Uh, he illustrated this well. He wrote a, a story, and he said when he was a young banker, they used big leather ledgers. Um, I'm sure, I don't know if, Excel, right? This was uh, Excel on paper, if any of you guys are. So they had these big leather ledgers, and this is where they would keep track of all the banking information and who owed what and where and what account went where. And uh, I, I can remember seeing some of those. I've even worked on one or two, but Stuart Briscoe said he imagined his name, David Stuart Briscoe, and God opened up the ledger of his life and began to add up the sum total of his indebtedness towards God. And he looked at that indebtedness and he said, I could never be out of debt to God. It was too much. In my mind's eye, I saw God take his pen and transfer the sum total of my indebtedness to the account of the Lord Jesus Christ. And on the account of the Lord Jesus, he wrote, transferred from the account of David Stuart Briscoe. He said, I thought God was finished, but then I saw him do something incredible. He added up the total righteousness of Christ... And against it, he wrote these words, transferred to the account of David Stuart Briscoe. You see, God took, through Jesus Christ, all of our indebtedness to him. And he transferred our indebtedness that we could never be completely paid up on to the Lord Jesus Christ. But he didn't just stop there. This is holiness. This is righteousness. This is what being sanctified means. He took all of Jesus' righteousness on that same ledger, transferred it to me. That's love. For what reason did he assume my debt and give me his glory? 
The third thing, it's valuable. For God so loved the world that he gave his only. Here we see the value of the Father's love for us. Not only was he willing to give, he was willing to give the only one he had. He was willing to give all that he had. You know, when you give somebody out of your abundance, that's noble. But when you give out of your poverty, that's something different entirely. If you had several vehicles, it might be seen as a, as a noble thing to give one of those vehicles to somebody who was in need. But if you gave your only vehicle to someone who was in need, that's something else. You see, the love that God has for us is above and beyond. It's above the call of duty. It would be seen as a real sacrifice. This is real love. How many times have you heard yourself say, I can't do that, that's my only one? Just had that conversation the other day. I, for Christmas, got a um, nice big box of king-size Reese's peanut butter cups. Love those things, right? I love them too much. So I began to share with my kids. You guys eat these because, you know, I don't want to get so fat. And uh, we got down to the last one. Well, they can't have my last one. <laughs> I took the last one, I put it in the fridge, and I made an announcement. You guys cannot touch this Reese's peanut butter cup. And I took one out of the pack, and I ate one of the two. And I still have one right now, the last one. I would lose my mind if they took my last one. You guys remember that. <laughs> I see them here. <clears throat> Don't get any designs. If I were to give my last one, if I were to give all that I had, if I were to give my favorite candy, then they would know that's love. Because it's all I had, right? Now, I don't want to equate Jesus to candy, but it's a concept. It's a principle. We've probably all said that. You can't have it. It's my last one. But we learn here that God did not have a backup. He didn't have another one. He gave his all. This shows us what lengths God is willing to go to to save the world. What lengths... He will go to for the sake of the world. All right, fourth thing, it's personable. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God's love isn't just some abstract concept. It isn't a philosophy. It's not a theological construct, and we get lost in that sometimes. God's love was manifest to this world through the person, Jesus Christ, the only son of our Father. Jesus Christ came into this world to save the world and to let us know what love really is. By most people in the world today, I think Jesus probably is truly forgotten. I mean, you hear people confess all the time about, um, thank God, I give God thanks. Thank God for this. If you're like me, anytime somebody says, I want to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh, wait, what? My ears prop up. Oh, Jesus. 
I think his love is forgotten. I think his sacrifice is forgotten. And it's our job as Christians to remind the world of his love. It is what we are here to do. I read a story about a, a man named Joe. He was a drunk. And he was miraculously converted out of a street outreach mission. You guys all know the type. Before his conversion, he was a, a regular at, in the slums. You know, they all knew who he was. And he had really gained a reputation for being a derelict and for being dirty and being no good. But when he became a follower of Christ, everything changed for him. Joe became the most caring person that anyone had ever seen, and he began to volunteer his time at the mission where he had been saved. He spent his days there, and he did whatever was needed. There was never anything asked of Joe that he didn't do, that he would consider beneath him because he remembered where he had come from and Jesus had changed him so much. It, it might be cleaning up vomit left by some alcoholic or scrubbing the toilets that nobody wanted to scrub or cleaning the urinals that were left filthy. And Joe always did it with a heart of gratitude, thankful that Jesus had changed him so much. He could be counted on to feed any person who wandered into this mission off the streets and he was even known to when the person was so drunk they couldn't uh, do it themselves he would undress them and get them into bed and and take care of them one evening the mission director began to uh, say a a prayer as as he had finished up his time of talking with all of those who were there and he gave an invitation to come forward and pray at the altar and there was one drunk in particular who wanted to uh, have a, a change of life. And he came up to the altar and he knelt at the altar and he began to pound it. And he was saying, oh God, make me like Joe. Oh God, make me like Joe. The director leaned over and said, son, wouldn't it be better if you prayed, make me like Jesus? And he thought about it for a minute and he looked up at the preacher and he said, well... Is he anything like Joe? <laughs> what a great story. Do people look at us and see Jesus? Do they look at us, and, and if we were to introduce them to Jesus, would they look at us and say, well, if Jesus is like you, then I want that. How much are we loving people? God's love is personable on the one hand because it was made manifest through the person of Jesus Christ, but also because it was bestowed on you. Max Lucado wrote this, There are many reasons God saves you to bring glory to himself, to appease his justice, to demonstrate his sovereignty, but one of the sweetest reasons God saves you is because he is fond of you. He likes having you around. He thinks you're the best thing to come down the pike in quite a while. If God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. If he had a wallet, your photo would be in it. He sends you flowers every spring and a sunrise every morning. Whenever you want to talk, he'll listen. He can live anywhere in the universe, and he chose your heart. And as the Christmas gift he sent you in Bethlehem, face it, friend, he's crazy about you. <laughs> Fifth thing, we're getting close. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him. 
He's accessible. His love is accessible. The really good news about God's love is that it's not limited to just a select few. It's not available only to those who were born in a particular place or who are of the right color of skin or on the correct continent. No, the love of God is accessible to whoever believes in Jesus Christ. James Van Tholen's an author and he wrote, from the human perspective, when you compare God to the other gods of the other religions in the world, you have to say our God is really sort of odd. He uses the most common of people, people that aren't any different from any of us here. He comes in the most common of ways, when by his spirit an anonymous young woman is found to be with child. And the strangest thing is that he comes to all. He's not the God above us, too holy to come down. This God's love is so immense that he wants to come down. And he has proven his love by the fact that he did come down and touch our ground. God has come down to our level. Not in the sense that he has lessened his holiness or become less than. That he took all of his holiness and all of his grandeur. And he came down to show us what that looked like and to show us how to love. Will you believe in his son who made the ultimate expression of love that could be made? By choosing to believe in him, you access the love of God. The forgiveness of God. By believing in him, you get the new life that he has promised. The sixth thing, we are on the home stretch here. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish. You see, God is not judgmental. He didn't send his son down to this earth to judge us. To show us, hey, this is how you should live and I am going to be judgmental of you. He sent his son down to show us how to love and to draw you into a relationship with with himself. Uh, it's in John 13, I think. Um, Jesus said, As I have loved you, so you must love others. Like he said, Listen, I've showed you how to love. You have my love in you. Now you love others the way that I've taught you. Jesus didn't come into the world to rebuke you, he came to rescue you. He didn't come to criticize you, he came to cleanse you. He didn't come to punish you he came to pardon you he didn't come to destroy he came to deliver Jesus is awesome this doesn't mean that God's not a God of judgment though see there's a huge difference between recognizing right and wrong and being judgmental don't get me wrong there's a difference between judging the unrepentant sinner and being judgmental being judgmental that you have a means you have a critical spirit judgmental on you and I'm I'm judging you and I'm see God is so holy that he we can't be near him without Jesus Christ because his blood covers our sins right washes us cleanses us his our righteous his righteousness has been transferred to us so that we can stand in his presence Without that, it is judgment, but not critically, not, at, not in a, with a critical spirit. 
Here's the last one. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. What a benefit. Right? What a benefit. Uh, it was more than 50 years ago. I can't remember the exact date. There was a, a um, Johns Hopkins University. There was a, a young socialist, so, a sociologist there. And he did an experiment. And he had his class go and interview. He, there were 200 children. And he had them interview these 200 kids. And find out where they thought they would be in 25 years. Predict your future. But the kids were street kids. There were kids who were out roaming the streets, and, and so it was like the deck was stacked against them, right? Same professor, 25 years later, has his class locate those 200 kids. They didn't locate all 200. They only found about 180 of them. Out of the 180, only four had went to jail. Now, in the original experiment... 200, most of them said we probably end up in jail. And that was what everybody thought. They're street kids. They're, they're the riffraff. So out of this 180, only four went to jail. The professor became very interested in this and said, let's figure this out. What happened here? Interviewed all of these kids, all 180 of them. And what he found was that most of them had in common the same teacher, over a hundred of the boys uh, had a strong influence by a teacher. And so he said, let's locate the teacher. Her name was Sheila O'Rourke in Memphis. And they found her in a nursing home. And she was really puzzled by the interest in her as these students are talking to her, trying to figure out, you know, what was only going on, what's going on. And she said, I, I don't know. All I ever did was love them. That's the power of being loved. If that is the result of being loved by an imperfect human being? What must be the result of being loved by a perfect, divine love? As a result of this teacher's love, these boys had life. But as a result of God's love, we all have eternal life. Years ago, there was a young man who got into a big fight. Uh, this is a true story. Got into a big fight with his dad. Uh, he, was, he was in college, and he and his dad got into this big fight. And uh, This was before telephones and stuff. So he, they, he wrote letters to his mom, his mom and him, while he was in college. They were writing letters. And he began to want to come home, but he wasn't going to come home because he and his dad had this big fight. So he was writing letters back and forth with his mom, and he said, Hey, Mom, um, there's a, uh, I, I want to come home, and, and I want to write a letter. I mean, but I don't know. Maybe I'll leave Dad alone. I'll tell you what I'll do, Mom. I'm going to write. Uh, I mean, would you uh, talk to Dad for me? Let me know if he's forgiven me. And if he has, then I'm going to come back home for a visit over Christmas break. And she said, okay, son, I'll tell you what, why don't you, time was short, there wasn't time for letters to go back and forth. She said, why don't you go ahead and get on the train and come home? And you know that big oak tree by the train tracks? After I've talked with your dad, if he's forgiven you, then I'll put a white ribbon on that tree. And when you get to the station, you can get out and come on home. We'll know your dad's forgiven you. 
He said, that sounds like a plan, Mom. He got on the train. He had a buddy with him. And as they were getting close to the tree, he described the tree to his friend. He said, listen, I can't look. I don't even want to know. I'm so nervous. Did Dad forgive me? I just can't. I just don't know. And as they got close to the tree, he, the son knew it should be there, but his buddy wasn't saying anything, and the son wasn't looking. And finally, he was saying, is there, is there a, a white cloth on the tree? Is there a white cloth on the tree? And the buddy, after a time of being silent, looked at him and he said, there's white cloth on every limb of the tree. <laughs> you see, that's what God did for us. He sent his son Jesus to be the ribbon on every branch of the tree and he's begging you, please come home. You don't know how much I love you. I am ready to forgive you. And as we start this time, the summer of love, I've called it. I didn't know what else to, where else to go with it, but... I am overwhelmed by what I feel like God wants to do. What God has shared with me, he wants to do. Listen, he told me when we started this year, he wants to change our church. As we got close to Pentecost Sunday and talking about the glory of God, he said, this is what I want to do for, for this church, for your church, Cal. And as we're moving forward, I, I know that he wants us to understand and realize and figure out exactly what love is because the world around us needs it, man. The world around us has no idea what love really is. Some people are saying, we've, we've got to go protest. I think it's maybe because they haven't felt loved. And we've got some people saying, those are stupid protests. <laughs> Maybe they need to feel love too. Like, this is, I, I want to stay out of the politics of it because we are not a part of the kingdom of the world. When we receive Jesus, we step into his kingdom and we have to live differently. When I began to be stirred about love, it was before anything had happened with the social unrest but this is what God wants us to do and this is who he wants us to be and if our society will be changed then it is going to happen because we love people I've gotten in trouble before for saying anything about politics I, I just I know that we should still vote but we can't put our hope in that. You, you know what I mean? Like, that's, that's not where my hope is. My hope is in Jesus Christ and Him crucified and raised again and the love that He has brought and taught me. So let's just be careful who we put our hope in. And, and here's something else I think we should adopt as, as Christians especially. In, in James chapter 1, I believe, you need to be careful pulling these scriptures out before I look. Be quick to listen. Remember, quick to listen. And then what? Slow to speak, slow to become angry. How many times do we see a, 
social media posts, we get angry and we respond immediately. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Let's love each other with an uncommon love. That's how Jesus, that's how, I can't imagine a better way to start this thing than focusing on the way God loved us. And then Jesus told us, as I have loved you, so you must love others. This kind of love, God, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That love is the love God has called us to love other people with. So I don't know where you're at today, and I'm not going to have a big altar call. I just want to encourage you, everybody here and those who are watching, let's love. We're going to spend the rest of the summer talking about love. I hope you don't get tired of it. I don't. (laughs) Who doesn't want to feel love? So let's pray. God, today, I don't know where everybody's at. Two things. I do know, Heavenly Father, that you have tied a white ribbon on every tree. That ribbon is Jesus Christ. And you are saying, please come home. It's so easy. I want to forgive you. All we have to do is ask. So if there's anybody here who has never asked Jesus to forgive them of their sins, now's the time to do it. Forgive me, I pray, Father, and help me. Come and live in my heart. Help me to live for you. Holy Spirit, begin a work in me. And if you are praying that prayer this morning or if you need help, then then post that to Facebook. Or if you're on the other platform, put that in the notes so that somebody can help you. The other thing is this. This is how you loved and this is how you expect us to love. And I know it's tough and probably somebody's mad today or maybe I've upset somebody and I, I apologize, man, I love you. I really do. I I don't want anything but the best for you and for us and for this church. I do know the Bible has called us to love in a specific way. So, Father, help us to love like that. Help us to love like that. A love that is not prejudiced. A love that is uncommon. A love that will bring our brothers and sisters together. All of us, no matter the the race but I don't want that to be our focus I want our focus to be you so teach us to love today I pray thank you Jesus for being with us this morning Holy Spirit fill our hearts to overflowing with your overwhelming love and grace Jesus name I pray